Well, as always, church, it's good to be with you. If you have a Bible, go and open up to Exodus 20. Exodus chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. The scriptures will be behind me on the screen throughout the sermon. But if you want to follow along on your device, whatever, we'd love for you to follow along at Exodus 20. Exodus 20. Um, We're in the middle, right in the middle of our series covering the Ten Commandments. So I'm not sure a room this large, I'm not sure your view or your perspective on the Ten Commandments, but in the narrative of Exodus, the Ten Commandments really are the culmination of God rescuing his people from slavery. In the narrative of Exodus, the Ten Commandments are the culmination of God setting his people free because God sent Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go so that they may worship me. It wasn't let my people go and that's it. I want them to be free and that's it. It's let them go so that they can worship me. And so all that God has been doing is leading them to this place where he's given them the Ten Commandments where he can finally teach them, okay, you're set free so that you can now worship me in this way. The Ten Commandments is God saying, here's what true worship looks like. Here's what true freedom looks like for my people. So today we're in the fourth commandment, on the fourth commandment, and this is the last commandment of the ten that focuses explicitly on how we interact with and treat God himself. I don't know if you've thought about this, but a framework for the ten commandments, the first four are about how we love God, and the last six are about how we love people. The first four are about how we love God, and the last six are about how we love people. And the last command that God gives of all the different things he could say for the fourth commandment that's dealing directly with himself is he tells his people to rest. Of all the different things that God could bring up, of all the different commands he could say about, here's how you treat me, he commands his people to rest. He commands us to rest. Now, if there was ever a command, if there was ever a command to rid you of any view that you have of the Ten Commandments of God's law as anything other than a blessing to your life, it's this command. God is demanding He's demanding that his people take a day off each week to slow down, refresh, and remember who they are to him. To remember who they are to him. God's demanding this. And there is so much going on in this text and this command. We're going to get to all that. But I want you to know that this command already is good for us because it's God's word. But especially for us, This command is incredibly important and pertinent for people like us because we are a people who are perpetually tired and stressed out. We are a people collectively who are perpetually tired and stressed out. It is such a normal thing for us to feel exhausted, tired, busy, stretched thin, overwhelmed. Is that all the words we use? Any more categories I could use? That we use to describe how we're doing, it's almost like a badge of honor in our culture. It's such a normal thing that when you ask somebody, hey, how are you doing? Real stressed right now, a lot going on, real busy, real stretched thin, really overwhelmed, exhausted. That, like, that's kind of what we say, right? And it's so normal. Like, you hear, you go, yeah, I totally get that. I mean, it is a, it's a rare thing to ask somebody, hey, how are you doing? And them say, awesome, doing great. Life is pretty balanced, don't feel stretched thin, not exhausted at all, honestly, just really good pace of life. Like, hate you. Like, that's what we would do. We would hate them immediately. Or we would think that they're probably faking it and lying. But here's the the sneaky thing we do. If somebody said that to us, here's what we begin to do. And I know that we do this because I do this and I'm projecting onto you. So we all do this. And so as soon as somebody said, I feel great, we would immediately go, oh, wait, wait, are, are you still in college? Oh, that's why. 
Oh, no, oh, no, oh, wait. You're, are you married? Okay, you don't know. Um, do you have kids? Oh, don't talk to me ever again. Like, all, all of a sudden, wait, how old are your kids? Wait, what do you do for, uh, for a living? Wait, what's your job again? What are we doing? We're making this stratosphere that says, oh, the only reason you're not exhausted the way I'm exhausted is because I'm more important than you. That's what we're saying. The only reason you feel okay is because I have way more responsibility than you that you could never understand. Now, we do that for a lot of different reasons, but one of the reasons is because we cannot imagine our lives without being exhausted. Like, we don't have a paradigm for what does life look like when you're not exhausted. And that's why we spend so much time thinking and daydreaming about rest. We spend so much time thinking and daydreaming about rest. We fantasize about vacations. We just sit there at our office or where we work just staring at like, can't wait till July gets here. Just staring at it. I mean, we, we hang on, oh, wait, okay, today's going to be terrible, but I get to go watch Netflix tonight. Like, I can't wait. We think about this vacation or this rest that's coming, these experiences we could have. We go online and we plan out the most incredible dinner ever to just keep us going throughout the day. And what are we doing? We're exhausted, we're tired, and we're looking to these experiences. If I can get this experience, then I'll finally have the rest that I'm looking for. I finally won't be stressed out from work and responsibilities. I'll finally be refreshed and fulfilled. But what I'm... What I'm seeing really clearly, what I'm seeing really clearly is that our understanding and our practice of rest is not working. It's not working. However we're doing it currently is not working. See, we have, you and I have access to more earthly pleasures and comforts and entertainment and hobbies than anyone in history. Not just the world, though that is true, than history. You have more access to comforts and hobbies and fun things to do on and on you could go, and yet we're not any more rested than anyone else. You could actually make the argument we're more exhausted than so many different generations that have gone before us. Because you can know that they're not, this rest, how we're doing with all these earthly pleasures isn't working, because when we're enjoying the thing that's fun, when we're taking a day off, when we're resting, we feel refreshed. But then as soon as we get back into normal life rhythms and we're back at work, we're back in normal nine to five kind of things, we immediately feel stressed out. We immediately feel anxious. And we begin to think, I don't feel like I ever even rested. How often have you and I come back from a vacation that 99.9% of the world will never get to go on and we come back and say things like, whew, I need a vacation for my vacation. We've all said that. Maybe you haven't said that. You've thought it. It's felt like, what did that even accomplish? I feel exactly the same when I got back as I did before. Why is that? Rest is this elusive, slippery thing that we really desperately want, but we just can't get it. And God knows that. God knows that he made you to rest in a particular way. But when you and I attempt to find rest apart from God and apart from his word, it doesn't work the way it's supposed to. It doesn't work the way it's supposed to. Like anytime we try to find life and rest outside of God and his word, it's like trying to start a car with a dead battery. We see what should happen, we know what should happen, but we just can't turn the engine over. It just keeps clicking like it should work, but it never produces the rest that we're after. That's what life is like apart from God. You know what should be produced, but it just won't happen. It just won't happen. And so when God commands his people to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, 
He's teaching us something really, really important. He's saying enslaved people can't rest. Enslaved people can't rest. But God's free people must rest. Keep this in your mind. Enslaved people can't rest, but God's free people must rest. It's part of what it means to be free. Look at the text. Exodus 20, verse 8. Exodus 20, verse 8. Here's what the word of God says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now it's really important for us to understand this command, it's for you, it's for me, but remember who it originally was spoken to. Who originally received this command when it was given back in the day? You have to remember the people receiving this command were people who had been enslaved for 400 years. Exodus 1, the very, very beginning. Don't turn there, but look at who these people are. It says, so they, Egypt, ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. These people, for 400 years, had only known the life of a slave with no authority, no voice, no say-so over their lives. And they'd always had this master in Pharaoh who always had new desires and new demands and and new things he wanted to accomplish that that required their on-demand, constant service. And that was the case for 10 generations. So think about the people hearing this command to rest. They had never known any of their relatives who hadn't been a slave. Their aunt, their uncle, their grandma, their grandpa, everyone they had known had always been a slave. So it's embedded in their psyche. The only master we have is one who abuses us for their own purposes. And our master doesn't let us rest. We're not allowed to. Not allowed to. Our only job is to serve his ends and his purposes and meet his needs. Enslaved people can't rest. Now, while me and you may not be slaves under physical and institutionalized oppression, we're still prone to be slaves to masters other than God. While we may not have a master named Pharaoh, we have masters named work and rest. We have masters named work and rest. God made work and rest for our good, for our benefit, but we tend to go to those things rather than him. We tend to go to work and rest for things only God could give us. We tend to go to work and rest for significance and worth and peace and identity. And God is commanding for us to follow his pattern, his rhythm, this work-rest rhythm that he wove into creation. So to understand the Sabbath command, it inherently means you have to understand work. You can't separate work from rest. They're inextricably linked together You have to understand how they relate to one another. You can't separate the two. Look at the text in verse 9. God makes this really clear in his word. So in his command, he says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. He's commanding you to work. For six days you do all of your work, all of your labor, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. He's commanding his people. It's a six to one ratio. 
That's the way I want it. I'm telling you that's what you do. But then in verse 11, he shows us in creation his model of this. Verse 11, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So in command and in creation, God sets up this six to one ratio. Six days you do all your labor, and one day you rest. And one day you rest. Remember, these are two things that God gave to us before sin ever entered the world. Work and rest rhythm was in the world before sin ever was. But when sin came into the world and into our hearts, here's what we do. Our propensity, our desire is only to worship creation rather than creator. So now we go to work and rest as our gods, as our masters, instead of the one who loved us. And what happens when we go to work and rest to be our masters, this six to one rhythm inevitably gets gets distorted. So for a lot of you in this room, for a lot of us in this room, work has become your master. Work has become your master. You cannot imagine a day off every week. You can't imagine it. You can't imagine disconnecting from email and work and clients and stocks and employees and projects and tasks that you normally do throughout the week. You can't imagine. Talking about a day off every week sounds like a fairy tale. You go, yeah, that sounds good in theory, but you don't know my life. That's impossible. It's like a fairy tale. It's fun to talk about, but it's not real. And the reason, the reason we can't rest from work, if this is you, the reason you can't rest from work is because you're going to work to get things that only God can give to you. You're going to your profession to give you things that only God can give to you. So we go to work for significance and value to define who we are. And so when you try to take a day off, your master of work comes to you with false threats. He says, okay, you can take a day off this week, that's fine, but guess what? You're not going to be admired at work anymore. I mean, they're going to think less of you. I mean, you're for sure going to get passed over on that promotion or that deal's going to fall through if you take this day off. So, I mean, you can, but know what's going to happen to you. You won't be significant anymore if you take a day off. We go to work for security. So we go to our, our security, our future, our hopes. And so when we try to take a day off, our master work comes to you and says, okay, you can, you can take a day off, that's fine. But if you work one less day a week, you're going to make less money. And if you have less money, then you have less secure future. If you have less secure future, then you should be scared. See, work becomes this master that is never satisfied. And anytime you attempt to thwart its leadership in your life, it begins to threaten you. It begins to say, If you don't submit and worship me, your life is going to be miserable. Begin to worship work. Now, is this you? Don't just hear this. It's something to to remember. Be introspective again and say, is this me? A good way to diagnose yourself right now is think about your calendar. In the last week, have you taken a day off? In the last two weeks? Last three weeks? Last month? The answer is no. This is probably you. You've probably made work this God that you're going to for all these things that it can't give to you. It's making false promises and false threats. It's become your master instead of the God who actually loved and saved you. And if you're here and you're thinking, well, I take a day off, so I probably don't love work, you can take a formal day off and still not be resting. You, you, You can take a formal day off and still you can't not look at your email. 
You can take a day off and you're trying to have a conversation with someone you love and you cannot concentrate on what they're saying because all you're thinking about is your work. Just, just because you take a formal day off does not mean you're not enslaved to it. It may just be a way you're deceiving yourself and convincing yourself you're not enslaved to it. See, we worship work and it keeps demanding, demanding, demanding no rest, no rest. Because there's no guarantee that your future's gonna be okay, so you have to keep working. So some of us worship work. Now, some of you are thinking, hey, that at me, I rest like a big dog. I take days off all the time. I'm great. I can go, right? Sit down, something for you too. Um, you can err on the Sabbath by working too much or resting and resting too little. You can err that way. You can also err by resting too much and working too little. You can also err by resting too much and working too little. The Sabbath is incredibly sacred and important. It's one day. Not like two days, maybe one day. And so you may not worship work, but you worship rest. And most of us, we worship both. But you can, we worship rest and we think our work is our enemy to our joy peace. You really think that if you had more days off, you'd be more fulfilled and more content. And so you look to rest days off and fun things as, that's where I find my peace. That's where I find life. And so six days of work, that idea threatens you and says, okay, well, if you follow God and work six days, then your life's going to be exhausting. You're never going to have enough energy for all the fun things you'd like to do. And rest, just like work, as a master begins to threaten you, and as a master, rest will never be satisfied no matter how much comfort you have. There's never enough comforts when you worship rest. You always want the nicer, more plush thing. It never is nice enough. There's always some experience, some pleasure you haven't had yet, and that's what you need. That'll fix the chaos in your heart, this new experience. And rest, just like work, demands, demands, demands. And if you try to threaten its leadership in your life, it threatens. Well, then your life's going to be miserable and exhausting. You won't have any fun ever. So is this you? Is this you? Now, once again, introspective. Is this me? Do I worship rest? good way to diagnose this is by looking at your faithfulness to your current work responsibilities. Not future dream job responsibilities. Current responsibilities. And if you consistently, consistently just do the bare minimum half-heartedly, just so that you can have fun, and that's your main goal in life, you probably worship rest. You probably worship rest. You're probably going to it for peace that it cannot give to, that only God can give to you. Another way to see if this is, if you're worshiping rest, is that if you're the person who, if I asked you right now, hey, what's going on in your work? You're like, I don't know, but I just planned the the dream vacation to Tahiti. I got that down. If your mind always goes to vacations and always goes to comforts, anytime you have downtime, you're thinking and dreaming about comforts that you could consume, you probably worship rest. If you talk about your life, that your anxieties and your insecurities all come from your boss, fellow employees, the projects, your clients, you begin to make, well, work is the reason for your sin, not your heart. You're probably worshiping rest. You think if work was gone from my life, I would not have sin. It means you're worshiping rest. 
Here's the point. Enslaved people can't rest or work the way God designed it. When you're enslaved, these masters will not enable you or allow you to follow God's word on six to one ratio. Always find reasons for why your situation is unique and why God's word doesn't apply to you. And without God, you miss out on what work was supposed to be, this fruitful, satisfying, purposeful thing in your life. You miss out on what rest was supposed to be, this fulfilling, rejuvenating, restoring, renewing thing that sends you back into work refreshed, ready to do the vocation you're called to do. Without God, these two masters demand, 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 and threaten, 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 and their promises never come true. That's what idols do. They try to act like God, but they don't have the power of God. So they make all these false promises about what life will be, and then you get them, and you work relentlessly for years, and you're, you're not happy. Or you take off all the time, and you still have chaos in your life, and any hard circumstance just knocks you for a loop. They make demands, 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 and they make false promises when we listen to them. But God freed you. God freed his people so that they could worship him according to his word in work and in rest. And here's why God is able to free us in ways idols can't and the way work and rest can't on their own is because God doesn't need you and God doesn't need me. He doesn't need us. That's one of the attributes about God, his sufficiency in of himself. One of the most spectacular things about God, he doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. Idols need you. They need you. Pharaoh needed Israel. Those monuments were not going to be built if Israel didn't build them. He needed their service. God doesn't need us for meaning. He doesn't need us for provision. He doesn't need us for purpose. He doesn't need us for life. If God never made anything, his life and his joy would be exactly the same infinite and eternal. He'd be exactly the same without us. He doesn't need us, but this is where God is different. He wants us. He doesn't need us. He didn't create everything because he was insecure about himself and needed someone to worship him. He created us because he wanted us to share in his joy and his life. He wanted you to share in it. Our relationship with God is built on love, not need. Our relationship with idols is built on need, not love. God doesn't need us. He wants us. So that's why he loves you before you ever work a day. That's why he saves you before you ever do any act of obedience. That's why before the Ten Commandments, God makes it really clear before he ever gives any Ten Commandments to say, hey, let's remember who served who first. Exodus 20, 1 through 2. Before any of the Ten Commandments, it says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Before I I ask you to worship me and serve me in any form or fashion, let's remember who loved who first. I loved you first, and I invited you into worship and life with me. Because in verse 8, he says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The Sabbath is this physical, weekly picture of what our master is like. That he's kind, and he gives us work because he wants to give us purpose and dignity in this life, but he doesn't need our labor like Pharaoh does. The nature of our relationship is built on him wanting to enjoy us, him wanting us to enjoy him, and him wanting us to trust him. 
It's a relationship built on enjoyment and trust, not one on need. So I want to give you a definition of Sabbath so you can think practically, okay, I want a Sabbath. How do I live this out? Let me give you a really simple definition. Take a note. This is the thing to, to write down. Sabbath rest is this. It's ceasing from your regular work. It's ceasing from your regular work so that you can enjoy and trust God. Sabbath rest is ceasing from your regular work so that you can enjoy and trust God. I'm going to walk through this phrase by phrase and then we'll be done. So first, Sabbath rest is ceasing from your regular work. It's important to know that the rest God is talking about is not a ceasing from activity. It's a ceasing from your normal, regular work vocation you do throughout the week. You see this in the example of God's rest in verse 11. Verse 11, it says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. When God rest, rested, he was ceasing from his current work of creation. He was creating and he was done, so he rested, but he didn't stop doing things. He was still upholding the universe. He was still doing an infinite number of other things. He was just ceasing from his current task. That's a good model for us. When you think about Sabbath rest, it is not, okay, I need to go, on my, go to my house, sit on my couch just motionless like this. Sabbath, Sabbath, Sabbath. Like, that's not what I'm, it's not what we're talking about, okay? It's not a ceasing from activity. It's a ceasing from your normal, regular work. And so often, often a healthy Sabbath, a healthy day off is going to look like you're doing a lot of different activities, just not things that you normally do throughout the week. It's about ceasing from your regular work. And so, really practically, in order to do this, in order to, to have this rest um, every week, you're going to have to plan your week with your Sabbath in mind. You're going to have to plan your seven-day week with your Sabbath in mind. Sometimes for you to have a Sabbath is going to require you to work harder on the six days. Some, the Sabbath actually requires you to be more disciplined on the six days so you can actually have a Sabbath. As God normally does with uh, preaching, he made my week similar, and I needed to hear this sermon like everybody else. Because this last week, this last week was one of those weeks. Um, I've been going through seminary the last two years, getting a master's, and for any of you who've had a full-time job and tried to get a postgraduate degree, there can be weeks that get pretty packed. And so, of course, the week that I have two finals due and major project due is the same week I have all-day meetings and I have to study and prep for a sermon. And so it's one of those weeks that if I was going to have a Sabbath, I had to plan. So I'd have conversations with my wife, Lauren, and say, hey, you know what? Um, I don't have to work through dinner tonight. I just, one of those weeks is crazy. Sorry about that. I had to plan accordingly. I couldn't, I didn't, I didn't get to exercise this week as much as I normally like to do. Why? Because if I'm going to have a Sabbath, I really had to buckle down these six days. Now, while every week may not be this chaotic and crazy, every week will require you to think about, okay, what is Sabbath going to look like this week? What's it going to look like? It requires, it doesn't just magically happen. It requires thoughtfulness and planning. If you're going to rest from regular work, you have to plan with it in mind. So we cease from our regular work so that we can do something, though. We're not just planning just for the sake of doing nothing. We're planning so we can cease from our regular work so that we can enjoy and trust God. That's why you're ceasing. It's not ceasing just to do fun things or lazy things. It's ceasing to enjoy and trust God. Here's the first thing I want you to know about enjoying God on your Sabbath. You're meant to cease to enjoy God and his gifts. 
to enjoy God and his gifts. Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It's a Sabbath to him. Not a Sabbath in general. It's a Sabbath to him. It's a Sabbath to him. So this day of rest is meant to be focused on worshiping and loving God. Now, we worship and love God every day of the week, okay? So if you're thinking like, you, you want to Jesus juke me and say, but I love God every day. Yes, totally, 100%, we worship God every day. But God is saying, especially this day. Especially this day. Every day is the Lord's, especially the Lord's day. Especially the Sabbath. It's meant for us to have more attention, more focus on him. So really simply, your Sabbath should have a time for you to read the Bible, the Sabbath's not going to be restorative and refreshing if you don't go to God's word to restore and refresh you. It's got to be a part of it. Now, it's going to look a lot of different ways, but in your planning, so you got to think, I want to have time to hear from God and the scriptures. I want him to address my heart and deal with my issues and address my sin and give me hope and give me promises and remind me of his love. It all comes from his word. And there should be some time in your Sabbath to pray. I mean, throughout the week when you have really crazy weeks, sometimes our prayers like shotgun prayers, just like all over the place, just whatever comes to mind, we're praying it, which is great. But the Sabbath can be a time for you to slow down and go, wait, how am I doing? God, I'm actually really insecure about this person at work and I don't know how to deal with it. God, I'm actually really nervous about my future and my savings account. It kind of stresses me. I mean, you can start being honest about what's going on in your heart. You can pour that out before him and beg him for the power that only he has. And it's for this reason that historically, in the Christian faith for 2,000 years, the Sabbath has typically been practiced on Sunday, typically. It's typically been practiced on Sunday, the day we gather to hear his word, the day we gather to sing to him. Now, I don't want to create some new rule for you. I don't want to say you have to Sabbath on Sunday. That's not what I'm saying. But if you can, you should. Like if, you, if you have the ability to, I would highly recommend you taking advantage of Sundays and making that your Sabbath. Now, there's all sorts of professions and vocations that want to enable you to do this. And here's so we're clear, the command is six and one. It's not certain days of the week. It's six and one. That's the ratio. That's the explicit command in the text. But if you can start your Sabbath by hearing God's word and softening your heart with that and singing praises to him, and that be the beginning of your Sabbath, that would be ideal. It's the Sabbath to the Lord, not just generally, but to him. So you cease to enjoy God, but you also cease to enjoy his gifts. You also cease to enjoy his gifts. God didn't rest because he was tired. God didn't rest because he was tired. He rests to take in and delight in his creation. That's why in Genesis 2, when he rests, he speaks over creation. It's very good. He's enjoying it. When he rested, it was a sign of completion and delight in his work. And so let's follow God's lead and see creation as a gift to us to enjoy. And so a way we've talked about this at the stone is on your Sabbath, try to do those things that fill you. Try to do those things that fill you. Those things that after you're done doing them, you feel refreshed. Those activities that refresh you, those people that refresh you, that encourage you, try your best to do those things. So whether it's exercise or it's playing with your kids or walking the green belt or tending your garden or reading a book or going on a date or hanging out with friends, whatever it is, et cetera, et cetera, do those things. 
Now, what you get to do, will your Sabbath be perfect every time? No, but try your best to do those things that consistently are places of solace and rest for your soul. Let me just do, do one side note here. Regardless of what fills you, it'll vary from person to person, can I just encourage you and warn you with something? Try to not consistently make your Sabbath fill with a lot of television and movies. Now, I'm not making, if you're a millennial, you're just like, he's so legalistic. That's not what I'm saying. Like, I'm a millennial. I get it. Even as I say it, I feel legalistic, okay? I want you to know, I, it's not legalism. Me, I'm not saying you can't watch TV and movies on your Sabbath. I know one of the things me and Lauren do, a little pattern that we have, is we kind of save our, whatever TV show we're into at that point in time. We save it after the kids are in bed that night after everything's kind of settled down. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but let me just tell you this. Of the people that I admire, the Christians that I admire and I respect present day, and the Christians that I admire historically, when you look at their days off, rarely, rarely are they saying, you know what I'm gonna do? 10 hour binge of the office today. That's not what they do. It's not in their days off. Typically what I've noticed is they usually spend their days out in nature, out in creation, accomplishing in some other way that they don't normally do. Their minds are still active. What you don't see them doing typically is numbing themselves with entertainment. And I'm not saying, if you're, if you're saying you don't understand how I need days off, I, I get it. But I'm saying Hebrews 11 says, look to those who have gone before you in the faith, who you respect and finish their race well. And most of those people, when they had days off, they utilized them to do something other than numb themselves. So that's just as a side note, as an encouragement. But whatever it is, enjoy his gifts. Creation is a gift to you. Our God is kind. He made it for his children. So do those things that, that give you more fulfillment after doing them. So enjoy God and his gifts, and then we trust God and his provision. We enjoy God and his gifts. We're ceasing to enjoy God, and then we trust God and his provision. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 it says, On it... You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. God does not limit Sabbath to the breadwinner or to the head of the household. It's everybody. It's everybody. So another side note, uh, we have a lot of young families in our church. Husbands, find a way for your wife to get away from those kids. Find a way. Help her out. You should remember, well, she'll remind you on the way home. So you don't remember it. She will remind you on the way home. You hear that? You hear what he said? I need four to five, six, 10, 24 hours away from y'all. Like, it's not just for one person. It's for everyone in the household. God is so specific. He goes all the way down to the livestock in Israel. Why is he doing that? Why is he getting all the way down to even your donkeys in a day off? Why? Why is he concerned about them? Because the day of rest is meant to be a day of trust and provision. He's saying, I, he knows that we're sneaking and that they would find a way to go, okay, well, I'll rest this day and you rest tomorrow. So someone's always working and making sure we're taken care of. He says, I want everyone to rest and no work to happen. So you remember, oh wait, God's the one who provides for us. God's the one who provides for us. That day off is meant to be a reminder. Oh wait, I don't fend for myself. I have a father in heaven who rules the universe and takes care of me. It's a day to remind us of who provides for you. So when you take a day off, you're saying, I could have made more money today. I could have made literally more money today and provided for me and whoever I support, but I'm not going to. I could have gotten more things done today, but I'm not going to. Why? Because I trust that God himself rules the world and he will take care of me. 
I'm not an orphan fighting for scraps. I have a daddy in heaven who's going to rule the world for my good. And also we trust him when even if you don't feel like you need a day off. So often I know I've justified and said, well, I don't feel tired, so I'm just going to keep working. It's trusting God and saying, God, I don't know where life is. I don't know what I need. You know where life is. I'm listening to you. Even if my personal experience right now seems contradictory and I don't feel like I need it, I'm trusting you over what I think. The day of rest is about trusting God and his provision. He'll take care of you and he knows where life is. God commands the Sabbath. As you can tell, it's a very broad command. It's one of only two commands in the Ten Commandments that it tells you to go do something. Most of them say don't do this. This one says, go do, practice this particular thing, and it's broad. It's going to take thoughtfulness and creativity for you to figure out how am I going to obey this in my life, but don't let that make you think that this is somehow optional. For whatever reason, I think probably the the kind of cultural piece of this, of how the Sabbath has been expressed culturally, we can kind of think, Sabbath is one of those things they did back in the early 1900s, 1950s kind of thing. It doesn't really apply today. Would you say that about murder? you go, it's kind of iffy. Like, I don't know if I'm supposed to do that one. No, you, you would say, of course. And with the Sabbath, God is saying, this is a command. When you, for, he says, remember the Sabbath. Why? Because we forget. When you forget the Sabbath, you live like a slave. You're saying, I can't take a day off because my masters won't let me. When you don't take a Sabbath, you sin against God and you say, I, I can't trust you with this. It's not optional. It's a command from God himself. And if this, wasn't, if this wasn't enough, just the command to do it is important. But when you look at the narrative of the entire Bible, the Sabbath is really important. It's a pretty consistent central theme in the Bible of this idea of Sabbath and this rest that God provides. When you see in Genesis, God creates the world and he works into a rhythm of rest. In Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy 5, God commands his people Israel to rest. And then in the prophets, God sends his prophets to rebuke his people. And one of the main things they get rebuked for is not honoring the Sabbath. Because they did what we did. They said, well, that probably is an optional command. And he rebukes them and says, no, come rest, rest, listen to me. And then when God sent his son, Jesus, God wrapped in flesh, you know what he said? He said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. This one day of rest was always getting us ready and a pointer and a reminder of the eternal rest God would give to us in Christ. That's what it was for. This one day of rest meant to be a pointer to this eternal, perpetual rest we'll now have in Christ Jesus. Listen to how Jesus talks about the Sabbath. Mark two twenty seven, And he, Jesus, said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Listen to how God thinks about you. Sabbath was made for you, not you for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus says, you want rest? I'm the Lord of it. I own all rest. That's what he says, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is speaking to weary, burnout, stressed out, tired, overwhelmed people and says, you want rest? I'm it. I'm it. The Sabbath was meant to be a physical picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a physical picture of the rest God gives to us. It's a picture of not just the rest you have on your days off, it's the rest and the peace you have every day. It's this picture of this is the peace you can have every day in Christ because Jesus has secured everything most important about you that you're most terrified about. So you're looking for significance? You're looking for a purpose in life? He's made you part of an eternal kingdom that when you labor with it, your labor's not in vain. It'll last forever. You're looking for an identity to root yourself in? He's given you the identity as a son or a daughter, and your identity does not rise and fall with your performance. It's already done, accomplished by him. You want approval? You want people to think well of you? The highest authority in the universe says he's pleased with you. The only impartial judge who knows you better than anyone cares for you. Looking for security and hope? The one who owns all things and moves all things says, I have a place prepared for you. Everything you're striving after in work, God is saying, I've already given to you in Christ. And the Sabbath is meant to be a pointer to say, look at what Jesus has done through his life and his death and his resurrection. So when you are taking that day off, when you're sitting there and you're just saying, I'm just going to rest. I'm going to do things that fill me. I'm just going to receive today. I'm not going to accomplish anything today. I'm going to feel very unsuccessful today. You are reminding yourself, this is what life is like with God. He works and I receive. He works, I receive. In your Sabbath, as you do it, as you take that day off, as you exercise, as you play with your kids, as you hang out with friends, take a moment and remind, this is what the gospel's like. Someone else did all the work and you get to have nothing but a smile on your face and a song in your heart and energy in, in who you are. That's what the gospel's like. The Sabbath is a pointer to that, so when you don't practice Sabbath, you preach a false gospel. You do. I do. When we don't practice Sabbath, we're saying when he said he worked, he meant like 98%, I gotta do two. When, when you can't rest, you're saying you tell people, maybe in your neighborhood, hey, you should trust Jesus. He's great, but hedge your bets a little bit because you don't know if he'll come through. We preach a false gospel. We tell our city that he's not that trustworthy. His promises can't stand on their own unless they're supported by our good works. When we don't Sabbath, we preach a false gospel and we say our future is built on our work. So your Sabbath or lack thereof is a window into your current faith right now. It's a window. It's a window, and if you just can't imagine taking a Sabbath, or when you do, you're just antsy, and you can't even receive any sort of blessing from him, without feeling guilty, you need to work or earn it or something, it shows you your faith may not be as strong as you think. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying your Sabbath is a window and a picture to what's your faith really like. We can sing songs all day about how much we trust him, but get in the nitty-gritty of your week, can you trust him one day this week? Can you let go and say, I trust your word this week? 
or can you not? Because really your masters are work and rest. Thank God Jesus came to be the Lord of the Sabbath, to redeem us from our failures and to give us the rest we so desperately want and need. So let's be a people who practice the Sabbath every week and don't make excuses and caveats because our God commanded it. Let's not be a people who talk about the Sabbath as if it's optional because it's for your good. He wants you to rest. And let's, not, let's be a people who practice the Sabbath because your rest, your eternal rest, it comes from the finished work of another. Let's be a people who trust our God and his goodness and his kindness and take one day a week and say, God, you got it. Let's pray. Father, you are like no other. And God, when when I assess my life, God, when we think about our lives and think about Sabbath, God, we realize how often we worship things other than you. How often we worship work for significance and identity. How often we go to rest for peace in the midst of chaos. God, and how often we're left wanting. How often they make false threats and false promises. So God, we want to confess and say, God, you are the only one who has rest because you're the only one who doesn't need us. Jesus, you are the Lord of the Sabbath and everyone who's tired can come to you and find rest for their souls. God, would you make us a people who don't just trust you theoretically, but really practically, God, we trust you and we say, God, we're taking a day to be reminded of what our life is really like. And we have a God in heaven who did all the work. It costs you your son, Father, so we could rest. And God, you gave us your spirit so that we could walk in line with your word. God, don't make us a people who speak of our commitment and yet don't follow through in the day-to-day. God, this city needs to see people who can rest and not have to strive. To see people who don't act as if their God won't come through, but who know that my God is faithful. I can trust him. When I was worse off, he took care of me. When I hated him, he loved me. Though I don't bring, add anything to his joy, he wants me to share in his. God, make us that kind of people so your name would be seen as strong and as mighty and as comforting as it truly is is. God, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand. Let's sing together.